Good morning once again. Some of you have seen already this morning. Uh, it's a blessing to see some new faces um, from this morning's service. Even better blessing for those who've already heard me preach to come back again. That's even better. <laughs> it's a blessing to be able to share in your church anniversary. I was thinking uh, as I was preparing for this morning about how much the Lord's work in this church has been a blessing to the church at Coffs Harbour. Uh, our young people have been blessed for many generations as we joined in camps together, as we had youth rallies together, um, all sorts of fun and hijinks that were done over the past years. Um, we wouldn't be us without you. It's as simple as that. Um, I praise the Lord for the ministry of the college. Uh, we've had some wonderful years together, um, raising up people. Uh, and I've, I've been trained for the ministry by this church in part. Um, and it, it makes a difference. And it's a real blessing to be able to be with you today because I know not just what it means to you, but what it means for us, for you to be you. So um, praise the Lord for all that the Lord has done. And we look forward to um, continuing our friendship <laughs> and um, ministering with the Lord together. So um, this morning we had a little bit of a look at Isaiah chapter 6. Uh, and we had a look at how the Lord's um, vision that he provided to Isaiah really prepared him for the ministry that the Lord had for him. So let's just have a, we'll have a, a brief recap of the first part of Isaiah chapter 6 and then we're going to push on and have a little bit of a more of a look at his call to service. So Isaiah chapter 6, uh, let's read verses 1 to 5. <clears throat> In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims, each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face and with twain he covered his feet and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Let's pray and we'll ask for the Lord's blessing. Heavenly Father, we're grateful, Lord, that we can come this morning knowing a common Saviour, knowing that you love us and, our Lord, it changes everything. We thank you that we can come and sit under the sound of your word this morning. We do ask that the word of God would be powerful. I pray that your spirit would bring it to life for us, help us to understand it, help us to see that these words are life-changing for each of us and I pray that Lord you would help us to be teachable Lord um, just hone us in our spiritual life we pray for service thank you Lord for this morning we commit it to you in Jesus name amen <clears throat> confronted with the scene of the Lord high and lifted up upon his throne Isaiah came to the correct conclusion that he was unclean and undone we ought to commend Isaiah for coming to that conclusion because that sort of humility is rare. When confronted by the existence of God, 
Instead of admitting a problem, people often try to reduce the holiness of God so they don't feel as bad in his presence. God is a mate or the big man upstairs and in such a view we don't seem so bad. Perhaps they seek to deny God's existence. Well, God's just a fairy tale, so I don't have to feel bad in his presence because he's not really there. Anyway, he's just a crutch for people who can't handle life by themselves. Or maybe they try and minimize their own sin. You know, everybody makes mistakes. It's not really that bad, the things that I have done, and so I want to minimize the gulf between God's holiness and me, and so I've not really done that much that's too bad. Or perhaps what I've done is not really sin at all because they deserved it. Or I can explain it because the things leading up to that sin were bad in my experience. Isaiah refused any of those avenues when he was confronted with the Lord's glory. He did the right thing by saying, woe is me. And I don't mean the right thing just because it was good for Isaiah to do it. Just because it was what people should do. He did the right thing because it was true. He embraced the truth. Didn't try and deny it, didn't try and minimise it. He just accepted it. God is that. I am this. Those things are true. And I need to admit it. There is no peace to be found outside of what is true. We can't change facts to make ourselves feel better. We have to accept it and then seek God's mercy in it. James chapter 4 and verse 10, let me read it to you. It says, quite simply, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. That would be a good summary for Isaiah chapter 6. The remainder of chapter 6 is about the Lord seeing his humble servant and lifting him up to service. It's a beautiful picture. Before we go into that this morning, we need to, I want to ask you as servants of God this question Who feels worthy of being a servant of God? Maybe if we've got the wrong view of who God is. Maybe if we've got an inflated view of who we are. No one really feels worthy of being a servant of the King of Kings. And I think if we were in Isaiah's situation, if we were seeing the vision that Isaiah saw in that instance, it would be really difficult to get beyond woe is me. It would be easy to get to that point because look at all that we're viewing Consider yourself in the light of that, woe is me. But it would be really hard to pick yourself up off the pavement after you'd humbled yourself in the sight of God. To think that the man in disgrace would become God's representative before other people is quite unbelievable. But this is the pathway that we all need to follow in ministry. We need to not just come before the Lord and be humble, not just come before him and recognize that we are sinful, we're unworthy of being his servants, but we need to get beyond that to the point where we can actually serve God. It's not enough to be a quivering mess before the presence of God saying, I'm a sinful, unworthy person. 
because we'll waste our lives for the Lord if we never get up off our faces. So how did the Lord make use of an unclean and undone servant? And he really was those things. How did the Lord make use of a servant like that? I think that's a helpful question for us to be able to answer. Let's have a look at a few things that the Lord did for him. First of all, he cleansed his sin. Isaiah chapter 6, let's go on and read verses 6 and 7. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, Isaiah says, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. Before Isaiah could be useful for God, the Lord had to deal with his sin. And to serve a holy God, this will always be the case. We can't expect to be servants of God, holy, 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 when we are the servants of sin and stained by sin. God needs to cleanse his servants before they can be his servants. But how does God do this? We read in verses 6 and 7 the process that Isaiah underwent, the process of cleansing. It starts with a coal. In verse 6, Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand. Now this idea of a live coal, is a, it's a glowing coal, hot. And the live or glowing coal that takes away Isaiah's iniquity comes from off the altar. It says, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. <clears throat> now in the book of Revelation, um, this heavenly altar is pictured And the altar that's described in Revelation chapter 11 seems to equate with the altar of incense in the tabernacle, not necessarily the brazen altar where the animal sacrifices are made. It's not really a place, this heavenly altar, where the animals are sacrificed, but more it's a place where sweet-smelling fragrance was burned before the presence of God to fill the tabernacle, fill the temple with a sweet-smelling odour. Now, these two altars were connected, though, in the tabernacle and in the temple as well. The animal sacrifice was burned, and in order to get the coals to burn on the altar of incense, they were taken from the brazen altar, the altar where the animal sacrifices were made. It was used to create a pleasant fragrance within the tabernacle as the priest approached before the Lord. And so we could say quite accurately that there could only be a sweet savour in the service of God's house because there had been a sacrifice made on the brazen altar first. There could only be that sweet-smelling savour because of a sacrifice that had been made. What does this picture mean for Isaiah? Well, the live coal signified that an offering was made and that because an offering had been made for Isaiah's sin, there could be peace. It was possible. Brethren, before the throne of God in heaven, the sweet 
smell of Jesus' sacrifice ever lingers. It's always there for us. Now, from Isaiah's perspective, that sacrifice had not yet been made. But this was God's perspective. This was God's vision. And from God's perspective, forgiveness was possible for Isaiah because Christ would die for his sins. Let's go to 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to read verses 18 to 20. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 to 20, it talks about the sacrifice that would be made for sin. 1 Peter 1.18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold, from a vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was sacrificed for us, that we might be redeemed, the payment might be made for our sins so that we could be cleansed. And so as people who recognize their uncleanness and humble themselves before the holy God, we need to remember that only the sacrifice of Jesus Christ can cleanse us. That's the only thing that can help the person who comes before God recognizing, saying, woe is me for I am undone. There's only one thing that can help us. Only one through all the world, through all time. And that's the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And a servant of God has to come back to this every single day. Without Jesus' sacrifice, no matter what I am now, without Jesus' sacrifice, I would be unclean. I would be undone. And I would never, ever get beyond woe is me. I have to keep coming back to being thankful for being saved. Christ has taken away my iniquity. Christ has purged my sin. For me, he did it when I was 15 years old. A fair few years ago now. But it's really good for me to think back to what Christ did when he saved me. Before I come before God complaining, before I come before God accusing, I must come confessing. Confessing that I'm unclean, confessing that I need Jesus every single day of my life, not just in some general theological way that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but like Isaiah. He came before the Lord and said, Woe is me! For I am undone, I am a man of unclean lips. He mentions something specific. And isn't it interesting where the Lord applied the coal? He took that live coal and where did he put it? He laid it upon his mouth and said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, thy sin purged. There was specific cleansing for specific confession. 
Isaiah's ministry of calling sinners to repentance, of preaching with his lips, was far more powerful with this foundation. He himself knew that he was a man undone. He himself knew that he needed God's cleansing to be able to come and to be able to stand before God. And as he preached that message to other people, it was so much more powerful because he himself knew what it was like to be cleansed. And as the servants of God, as people who are trying to get the gospel out, no matter how we do that, we've got to remember that we are those people who have been cleansed ourselves. We're not just preaching to those people out there who need Jesus. I need to be cleansed. And that's the message I preach to other people. Now at the end of verse 7, there is a proclamation. Thine iniquity is taken away and thy sin purged or cleansed. That is a declaration of God. And so it was true. But as Christians, we can, we can struggle to accept this sometimes. Perhaps we think it's humility. Uh, I'm too bad. I, I, I don't really deserve God's forgiveness and so we won't accept it. Uh, maybe we think that we're just being tough on ourselves and we don't want to let ourselves off too lightly for the things that we've done before the Lord. But when we come before the Lord and we confess our sin, and when we trust that it's through Jesus' blood that our sin is cleansed, we have to accept forgiveness from God. It's not humility to not allow ourselves to be forgiven, to think of ourselves as still under the condemnation of sin. That's not humility. That's unbelief. That's saying God can't forgive in the way that he told me to come and ask for forgiveness. That's calling God a liar when he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. To put ourselves beyond forgiveness and say, oh, I'm too dirty to be used by God, is not to call ourselves into question. It's calling God into question. When Isaiah sought the Lord over his sin, it was dealt with. And Isaiah didn't go off then and have some prideful pity party that, oh, Lord, you don't know how dirty my lips are. Oh, Lord, you don't know the things that I've said. Oh, you're going to need a few more coals than that, Lord, to cleanse me. He knew that God knew what was required to cleanse him. And he accepted that forgiveness. So, first step to getting woe is me up to being a servant of the Lord is that he was cleansed by the Lord. But then it goes on to being called by the Lord. In Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 8 we read, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. Having cleansed Isaiah adequately, the Lord extends the call to the ministry to Isaiah. He calls him. Now, as an aside, the pronouns of the call are a little bit unusual, aren't they? Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? 
Whom shall I send who will go for us? Now, some people have suggested that the us there is a reference to the servants who are in God's presence. But when does God ever consult his servants about sending someone out on his behalf? Never. We've just seen that he's the Lord high and lifted up and his servants are covering their faces and their feet. They've got no place to commit or contribute to the decision of God. In the light of the thrice holy God, this should be interpreted as a reference to the Trinity. Whom shall I send, the one Lord who will go for us, the persons involved in redemption? One Lord in three persons. It's very consistent. That Lord sent, or he sought, for a messenger. And I always find this a little bit humorous. Isaiah is on his face before the Lord. There's one, one man right there before God's presence. And God sends out this call. Who will go for me? There's one guy. <laughs> he extended the call. It's not like there was a crowd of options before him. Or it's not like the Lord was at a loss for candidates. Who am I going to send? I wonder. <laughs> the Lord knew. He was right there in front of him. But I think the reason the Lord did this was because he wanted to extend the call in a way that Isaiah could respond to it. It wasn't just get up, you're on your way. <laughs> he was giving him an opportunity to respond. Who will go for us? Now Isaiah was only a sinner. How could God possibly send him? Well, that's not true anymore. He wasn't just a sinner. Now he was only a sinner saved by grace. And that changes everything. God knew that Isaiah could not only be cleansed by his grace, he also knew that that grace was the grace by which he could serve him perpetually. You see, God knew this sinner better than Isaiah knew himself. And that's a really encouraging thought when God leads us to do something for him. I find encouragement from that quite often. God knows me better than I know myself. He knows the servant he's calling. Now, as he often does, the Lord presented the call in a way that allowed Isaiah to show faith, and that's exactly what Isaiah did. That's the next thing that we see, the servant's response in verse 8. I heard also the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Isaiah's willingness shows a belief in God's ability to use him, doesn't it? This wasn't pride. Can't be what Isaiah's already said about himself. Woe is me, I'm a man undone. It's, it's not pride. It's confidence in God. And those things are not the same. The Lord wanted to send a servant. He was offering the job to Isaiah and by faith Isaiah stepped forward. Faith that God could use me to do the job is really hard faith to have. When Isaiah heard that call, who will go for us? I'll, I'll put my hand up, Lord. I don't know if you could use me, but I'll go if you can use me. Sometimes it's really hard to put up your hand because you know yourself. 
You know how much you are under God's woe. But putting that hand up and saying, Lord, I will go for you, is not a statement of confidence in myself. It's a statement of confidence in the cleansing and the empowering ability of the God that we serve. I believe that God can even use a mess like me. And here is the place that we all need to come to. Lord, if you want me for this job, I'm available. You know me. I know me. But if you want me for this job, Lord, then I'll do it. And that's a question I want to pose to each of you this morning. Are you available? Are you available? Someone has said the greatest ability that we can give to the Lord is our availability. Is there something that the Lord is leading you to do that you are not saying yes to? I'm not asking you about something that the Lord's not calling you to do. I'm not asking you about something that the Lord doesn't think that you're suitable to do. Is there something that the Lord is calling you to do, leading you to do, and you're not putting your hand up? What I want you to realize this morning is the reason that you're not putting your hand up is not just humility. It's a lack of faith in the God who can strengthen us no matter how unworthy we truly are. And we are unworthy. Claiming low self-confidence or that we are a failure Claiming those as reasons for not serving the Lord is entirely missing the point. It is faith in God, not confidence in self, that we need in order to stand up and say, Here am I, Lord, send me. There's just one more thing that I want to bring up this morning before we bring things to a close. Lest we should have a romantic notion that Isaiah put his hand up and said, here am I, Lord, send me, and in the classic fairy tale terms, and he lived happily ever after. (laughs) Let's have a look at the window that God gives Isaiah into just how his ministry would go. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 9. And he said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. And the Lord have removed men far away and there, sh- and there be a great forsaking in the midst of the land. But yet in it shall be a tenth and it shall return and shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. I would think that when Isaiah put his hand up and said, Here am I, Lord, send me, he probably had the hope 
that he was going to lead the nation in a revival like he just found himself. I want to go and show everybody else about this vision of God. And I want them to all know that when we come before the Lord and say, woe is me, I'm a man undone, and I've got unclean lips just like everybody else in the nation, that the whole nation would then seek cleansing from God and repent and come back to God again. But right here at the start of his ministry, God squashes that hope. He tells Isaiah it's not going to happen. Revival is not coming. They're not going to listen. Because the people that Isaiah was preaching to refused over and over and over again to turn back to God, they got to a point where Isaiah says and puts it in in God's words, they could not believe. We would say that they were hardened through perpetual refusal of the call of God. And these verses talk about how Isaiah's prophecy added to their judgment. In verse 10 it says, Make the heart of this people fat. Make their ears heavy. Shut their eyes. It's like as Isaiah provides them with more preaching, more promises, more warnings, the people are getting fat with warnings and it's causing them to be worse. They've got more judgment upon their heads because God has given them more and more and more and they're just saying, no, 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 we don't want to hear it. Their judgment would be greater because of the ministry of Isaiah. It's been that quote in the New Testament, to whom much has been given, much more shall be required. That's this people. They'd heard over and over and over again, and they would be judged because of it. Now, Isaiah is not (laughs) happy with this sort of a projection for the future of his ministry. And so he asks the question in verse 11, Then said I, Lord, how long? How long are we going to have to do this for, Lord? How long do I have to preach to this people who are going to close their ears, close their eyes, and not listen to me? And the answer is not very encouraging. (laughs) The Lord says, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant." Until the cities are wiped out so there's no people left. And the houses be without man. No one's going to be living in the places. And the land be utterly desolate. Until Judah's cities are wasted, God says. You need to preach until the people are gone. Till they're all wiped out. Till there's no one living in the homes. Till the land is barren and burnt. That's how long you're going to have to preach this message. It's not very encouraging, is it? (laughs) Not very encouraging at all. Now, it wouldn't be a complete failure. We read there at the end of the passage in verse 13 that Judah would be pruned back to a believing stump, if you will. God was going to chop back the tree until you've just got something left. It says in verse 13, but in it, But yet in it shall be a tenth tithe, like a remaining bit. And it shall return and shall be eaten as a teal tree and as an oak whose substance is in them when they cast their leaves. So the holy seed shall be the substance thereof. It's talking about Judah being pruned right back, but one day it will shoot forth again. There'll be a little part of the nation that will believe. 
that will go on. So this was God's projection for Isaiah's ministry. And he gets given it right here at the start. Who will go for us, Lord? Here am I, send me. All right, Isaiah, here's your assignment. You need to preach for your whole life and they're not going to listen. And you're going to have to watch people get judged for not listening. In a results-mad world like we live in today, if people were to look at the ministry of Isaiah, they would consider it a failure. He preached his whole life. No one listened. They still went away into captivity. They still ended up with empty cities. He didn't turn them around. He must have been a very holy man. Must have been a very good preacher. Maybe there was something wrong in his life that the Lord didn't bring about the fruit as a result. What did Isaiah do wrong to see such a lack of results? Well, before he even started his ministry, God said this is what was going to happen. So he did nothing wrong. It's not that Isaiah wasn't a good enough minister. And this is something that if we are to be God's servants, we need to get used to right from the beginning. If we put our hand up and say we're going to serve the Lord, it's not going to bring the results we hope for. We have to be ready for that right from the start. There are blessings and victories, and I'm sure you can count many of them in all of the years of the church's ministries here. So many blessings, so many victories. But there's a lot of discouragements. There's a lot of hard times. And for all of the people that you can look back and think, wow, look at what the Lord did in that life. Wow, look at how the Lord changed that life. There's also the heartbreakers. I miss them. God prepared Isaiah for service by warning him about this. And this is a really good warning for all of his servants, not just for churches, for parents. You might do a great job as a parent, but your kids, or some of your kids, might still walk away from the Lord. Teachers and leaders, you're going to put a whole lot of effort into ministering to children that will never get saved. That's not a lack of faith, it's just a sad reality. Same thing goes for pastors, for evangelists, for marriages. You can do right. You can serve faithfully and yet results are never guaranteed. If you want to serve the Lord, and I trust that we all do, then we have to give up on the idea that we can determine the results by perfecting our service for the Lord. We can't. We don't determine everything that will happen as a result of our service. Think about this. <clears throat> if Isaiah's ministry ended with, Jude with Judah on the way to captivity, Jeremiah's ministry ended with Judah in captivity, and Jesus' ministry of discipleship ended up with a Judas Iscariot, then there's no guarantees that a good servant results in 
brings about good results. There's no promise of that. The promise is that if we stand up for the Lord and say, here am I, Lord, send me, the Lord will send us. And the Lord will use us to give people every chance to be saved. Give people every chance to grow in their Christian life. And it's our responsibility to be a good servant of God. We need to be aware that we can't guarantee anything. So, how could Isaiah go from woe is me to here am I, send me? Well, it wasn't by going through a self-help workshop and becoming a master of self-confidence. It wasn't by denying the truth about himself. I'm not really that bad. It wasn't about denying the truth about God. You know, God's not really that great. I could be a servant of God. Isaiah was able to stand on his feet as a servant of God simply because he trusted God's forgiveness. God can cleanse me. And he trusted God's enablement for service. God can send me. And if God can cleanse me and God can send me, then I'll trust him with the results and serve him for his glory, not for the results that come through the door. So let's close with this question, and it's straight from Isaiah chapter 6. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the day. Thank you, Lord, for a day when we can come together and with the church, Lord, attest to your faithfulness. And Lord, the fact that you are a faithful God and you enable your servants to serve you. Father, I pray that you would challenge us. I pray that you would encourage us. Help us to see that you are a God who empowers his servants. I pray that, Lord, you would challenge this morning for someone here today and they don't know your cleansing power. I pray, Lord, that they would come to you recognizing that Jesus Christ is the only one who can help a sinful heart. Pray that they would receive Christ today. Lord, I pray for those of us who know Christ as Saviour. I pray that we would be willing to accept the cleansing that's daily ours. And I pray, Lord, that if you're calling us to do something, help us not to hide behind our own weaknesses, but help us to trust in your grace. We thank you, Father, for our opportunity to be in your word together. May the Spirit move freely, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.